Well, hello, John Schuler. Hello, Brandon Gore. How's it going, buddy? I'm going to try very hard not to uh, hit the mute button often enough to not cough in your ear. How about that? That makes two of us. We both have whatever this, <laughs> yeah. this bug is going around right now. But at least I got your cool raspy voice going, a little bit anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. We both sound good. K-Y-O-T, <laughs> the coyote. Yeah, right on. <laughs> right on, right on, right on. Let's, uh, let's just jump right into it. So we were going to interview this week, but there's uh, some stuff we want to talk about that's going to eat up a little bit of time, so we decided to push the interview till next week. One of the things that has been a big topic conversation over the last week has been the color of maker mix and or rad mix being what some people believe to be uh, not white. And so they're like, hey, why is this not white? And that's a very kind of right. big thing to unpack and to kind of address. In my opinion, number one, it is white. Uh, you know, maker mix and rad mix are both white as defined by, you know, industrial standards for what is white. If you ever go to a paint store and look at the white paint swatches, that's the biggest section. There's literally a thousand shades of white. There's a million shades of white. White is infinite. Yeah. So, you know, you're like, well, this isn't white. Well, no, it's white. It's not the white you have in your mind. You have copy paper white in your mind. And we used to kind of get that color white, not not 100%, but with just plain white Portland, white marble sand, some acrylic, and, you know, call it good. And that was, you know, a white mix, but it was a very basic mix. It wasn't very strong. It wasn't very dense. But, you know, as far as color goes, it was pretty white. Now, Maker Mix and Rad Mix is a much, much more advanced and complex UHPC that has a lot of ingredients in it, a lot of ingredients. And those ingredients are chosen, the raw materials are chosen based on particle size, particle shape, and reactivity, and how they're going to pack together. And we've talked about that a lot in the past, particle compaction. But one of the ingredients that's in Maker Mix and Rad Mix is a white silica fume. And, you know, as you'll discuss here in a minute, there's a lot of different white silica fume is just like saying a truck. Well, there's Chevy trucks, Dodge trucks, Tesla trucks. You know, there's four wheel drive, two wheel drive, uh, diesel, gas, six cylinder, eight cylinder, ten cylinder. There's all different types of silica fumes. There's a lot of different grades of silica fume and a lot of different colors of silica fume. And so we're using a very, very specific grade of silica fume that's chosen for how it works in our mix. And in that, we're using a white. Now, the problem is this grade of silica fume only comes from a few locations around the world. And because of COVID, we're having to alternate where we're getting it from because of supply, supply chain issues. So we'll have one vendor that we'll buy you know, 20,000 pounds or 40,000 pounds from, and then uh, they'll go offline for a bit and we'll have to buy from a different vendor. We're just alternating back and forth. But because of that, the color from this quarry is slightly different in the way they process than this quarry in the way they process. And so we've been just kind of going back and forth because our primary goal is quality over color, meaning we'd rather have the highest quality product, the densest product, the strongest product, than mm, this is like a little bit silvery. We'd rather go with pure white, but there is no product that's pure white. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to sacrifice the quality for the color, and we don't want to do that. Um, other companies can do that. If color is the most important thing, there's other bag mixes out there that are going to be uh, white, but they're not going to be the same performance and strength. So that's just my really quick overview on the the whole color thing. What are your thoughts, John? Well, I'll be honest with you. I've been at because <laughs> see, there I go, <laughs> little coffee cough. Um, I've been out of the loop for a minute, so I'm guessing somebody mixed up some, um, I don't know, Maker's Mix or Mad Mix. 
probably came with a light silvery color and he's either, either complaining or at least asking. Well, yeah, so, it was on the, it was on the Kodiak cause you haven't looked and I asked you about this this morning. You said no. you haven't been on there, but the Kodiak pro discussion page, uh, Phil Courtney, who we like Phil Courtney, Phil Courtney's a great customer. He posted a photo yeah. of some freshly cast maker mix, which again, isn't really a fair comparison because if you ever cast concrete when it's wet, it's a drastically different color than when it's cured. Well, especially this mix. Yeah. Yeah. This mix is, yeah. I mean, this one, it's a tough one because I know we, we, maybe we beat this horse so much, but this material is so dense that just in the casting process, when it contracts on itself, it's going to bring out the background colors of your sands and the whole nine yards. So it's always going to have, I'm going to say a richer color per se with, for anything that's gone into the materials. So the wet maker mix or rad mix, the color of it is not the same as once it's cured. And we had this new palette come in for the class that's from the, the freshest batch that we just had blended. We're having batches right. blended about every week to two weeks now, so it's always super fresh. But it was from the, the most recent batch that we got this palette in. Actually, we've had some batches done since then, but at the time, it was the newest. And the silica fume was, the white silica fume was slightly darker than the previous batch, right? And so we cast it, and you were here with me, and I'm like, hmm, John, look at this. This, this is a little bit darker. And you're like, yeah. I'm like, well, let's just yeah. cure it and see what happens. We flipped it over the next day, and I had samples from the, the previous batch up on my shelf. And the sample or the tile that we cast with the new stuff that looked darker, once it cured and we held it up, it was imperceptible, the difference between the previous batch, the previous run with a different white silica fume that was slightly lighter, and the newer one that was darker. So when it was wet, it looked dramatic. When it was cured, it was imperceptible. And um, and I've sent, you know, I was telling you this, but again, white is relative. White is, there's a thousand shades of white. I just landed a project uh, for this really big concrete table that's white, and I sent the client a sample from the newest batch uh, to her, and I said, this is our, our white. And she said, it looks perfect. Checks in the mail. So it's all just a matter, matter of perspective of what is white to you. And if white is super important to be like bright white, well then, you know, throw in some titanium white pigment. We have a pigment called alabaster, as John calls it, alabastered. Yep. Put that in there, 5%, yep. 6%, 7%. Even if you get crazy and go as high as 10%, but put that in there and that's going to brighten up the color and make it a whiter white if that's what you need. Anyway, sorry, John, go ahead. No, no, so... Yeah, I mean, we've talked about this quite a bit over the last, well, since we've been doing podcasts. I think one of the ongoing either misunderstandings or not a depth enough in knowledge, and apologies to anybody out there that, you know, is either not designing materials or is are designing these materials, but to realize that in this case, and we just use the word silica fume, yeah, I mean, gosh, there's... When it comes to silica fume in its own, or any pozzolan, cements, whatever we're talking about, but in this case, silica fume, you know, every silica fume has a different silicon oxide content, sodium, zinc, aluminum, iron contents, calciums, and depending on what that material, the process it goes through, the foundry that it comes from, as the seasons change, silica fume is a waste byproduct. So... When it goes through the chimneys, and that's what's scrubbed, uh, you know, to pull the fume. So the different temperatures throughout the seasons ultimately changes, you know, how that waste product is is made essentially. And then 
what process it goes from, from then being bagged and so forth and so on. So by the nature of the beast, the material that we're using, which is undeniably a backbone to this, which allows this to be as dense as it is, this allows its cure potential, workability, various workabilities, um, the ability to seal and not be dependent. I mean, all the things we've talked about over the years. So yeah, if the, if the, I mean, sorry, if the trade-off for that is that it has slight variations in colors, well, I'm going to tell you me personally, I'm going to go for it. And that's just the way it is. So I, I as I just said, I'm, I'm, I am one of those people the same. I am not going to compromise quality for color. I'm just not going to do it. I mean, the difference yeah. between this and a gray mix is night and day difference. Is it as white as you have in your mind? Maybe not. But this is another that conversation we've been talking about, about getting out of your own way. Now, I just, as you've been talking, I've been on the uh, Kodiak Pro discussion page and seeing the thread. I don't know, man. What I'm reading here doesn't really constitute, in my opinion, people complaining as much as just, you know, pointing out. Now, it does seem there's... I don't know. I hate to say this, but there's always going to be some trolls, right? Uh, maybe they don't see themselves as trolls. Um, uh, maybe that's a bad word. Uh, you know, the negative Nellies, if you will. And then I'm reading some of the other ones in here where is this from uh, what they think is a certain ingredient in the mix? Um, but that particular ingredient doesn't even exist in the mix. Yeah, Hespaz. So sure Somebody asked, that. was it yeah. Hespaz? <laughs> yeah, right. We don't have any Hespaz no. in the mix. I think maybe they... No came to that conclusion or, or you know, deduced that uh, from a previous podcast where we talked about has pause being a good pause, but it's not a pause on its in maker mix or yeah. ad mix. Yeah, no, it's not in there at all. So um, I'm going to say, you know, get out of your own way. As the summer approaches, it's very possible. And again, as, as COVID calms down and furnaces are all fired up again and material availability comes around, that, you know, lighter colors are going to happen, but then we could come back into winter and that same material from the same foundry is going to have a tint to it. And that's just the way it is. And I don't want to keep going deep to this, but this material that we are using is specified based on its silica content, iron content, alumina content, titanium content, zircon content. I mean, this is a specific material that allows specific reactions to happen for a UHPC. Without it, and I'd realize there's other things, like if this question came up to me, I guess, like, well, John, you know, there is this other material available. What do you think about that? Well, let me put out there. I test and continue to test materials just to see, you know, what these potentials are. But at the moment, plain and simple, there isn't one that exists, period, that allows these kind of things to happen that's happening in this mix, period. Yeah. Well, there's one you got really excited about a couple months yeah. ago that was domestically produced, so we didn't have the right. COVID supply chain issues that were going on. Domestically produced, bright white, right. on paper, yep. it looked phenomenal, yeah. you know, as yeah. it always does. And then you tested yep. it, and it did not work at all. No, I had every 
uh, let's say conversation with the chemist that I could possibly think of, you know, we, we had great conversations. Uh, you've heard me say this a lot to me. Oftentimes it's about asking the right questions. So I threw everything I could. They got a sample out to me, man, this is going to be amazing. I put it together and I'm like, Oh my God, what is this? <laughs> oh, no water contents completely went sideways. Plasticizer contents completely went sideways. Uh, but it was white. <laughs> You know, uh, I will say that, but everything else about it was um, horrible, absolutely yeah. horrible. Again, yeah. comparatively speaking to where we're at with this material. And I think that's a tough one, too. And again, I'm I, back as I'm reading some of these um, comments. I think, and there's always going to be this way, this disbelief about a material that exists that you and I happen to represent because we help design these things into existence that there's no way that it can be different. You know what I mean? Like, how can it be? Isn't concrete just concrete? You know, isn't this just something else they just put together trying to sell? Um, like in this case, can it just have Hespaws in it? you know, cement with a Hess pause, um, I guess, but no, I mean, this has almost 21 different ingredients in it that makes this performance what it is. Perception's not the right word, but there's some people that have that belief that it's just repackaged old technology, you know. Uh, yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. They were taking something that's been done a thousand times and just putting a new label on it and, right. and cheerleading, but no, it's, it. it's completely different, completely different. Completely different. Well, I'm going to talk about a completely different just for a second. Okay. I know. And I, I know I told you this one and I'm like, I won't even bring it up. Well, so right now I, as I told, you know, we just said last week, I'm back in the shop doing some projects, right? And one of my projects was a tub surround. So this is going into, um, a, a place where I don't know what it was a year plus ago. I did a vanity and this vanity was done, I'm going to say, in my version of kind of a dusty Crete style, right? And if you look at this, I think it's beautiful. It's gorgeous. You know, there's some variations in colors and the powder, you know, the things that I do, it's just awesome. Now, I just got done casting the tub surround that's, you know, wasn't meant to be exactly the same, but it's near the same area. This material now has so much depth of color and variation in that color that it's mind-blowing if you've never seen that kind of thing happen before. It's pretty crazy, man. And, and this is even coming from me when I'm just like, eh, whatever, okay, it tubs around. I want to get back to the shop. You know, I'm going to, you know, do my thing. And then I pull this thing out and I'm like, holy Jesus, what the hell is this? This is freaking phenomenal seeing what this material can do. It's doing things that never existed as a potential to happen six months ago, a year ago. You know what I mean? And I think, well, I'm going to say understandably, anybody else hearing this kind of cheerleading, you know, palm palmy kind of things like whatever, man, whatever. I just don't believe it could ever, anybody could do something different. Well, then again, I'm going to put the challenge out, pick some up and prove me wrong. 
That's what I would say. Because I'm continued to be, I don't know, happy, blown away, ecstatic about what I'm seeing that I was not seeing. Even I thought I was at the highest potential possible a while back. And then you're like, holy crap, I didn't even know this was possible. Yeah. So that's where I'm at, which um, understandably for me personally, I'm extremely and continually even more excited uh, in what we're doing. So Awesome. Is there anything yeah. else you want to address with that or do you want to move on to the next topic? Let's move on. Okay, let's move on. This week, what I want to talk about, something we haven't talked about yet, is making sink molds for concrete. So making a sink mold. And there's kind of two different routes to do that. <laughs> Jesus Christ, listen to you. I know, right? Typhoid Mary right oh. there. Listen. I, even, I was even looking for the mute button real fast. It didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> you better find that mute button. You find? Did you find it? You know where it is? I did. It was actually. Okay. You know what it was? It's because I was reading the forum page, and so the little the little icon for Skype had gotten behind it. Uh, you know what I mean? Because all the things open on your screen. Gotcha. Anyway. Okay. So back to this. There's two different routes you can take from making a forum. One is to do a handmade, built form where you make it yourself. The other one is going to be to use a found form. And I'll briefly go over both of those. So if you want to build a form by yourself for a sink, custom, there's a few ways to go about it. Uh, fiberglass. I've done a lot of fiberglass forms over the years. Rubber. Fabric forming, which we have a class on. And epoxy-covered wood or foam, which is kind of the, the go-to for a lot of guys these days. So that, that'd be a built form. And then found would be your, it's a found object. And for me, the objects that I've used over the years have been really big stainless steel bowls from Ikea work great. They have all different sizes that work great for sinks, and they're really inexpensive. So stainless steel bowls, skylights work really, really well for sinks. I've done several sinks over the years that were found skylights. If you go to those material reclamation or, you know, the places where builders, they have like all the surplus stuff they sell for cheap. A lot of times they're skylights, brand new skylights that were left over from a project. And it's just uh, essentially plastic that's been formed that works really well. And so if it's the size you need or you can modify it, those a lot of times can work great as a sink form. But so that's the two different types. Now we'll go a little bit more in depth on this. Fiberglass. So fiberglass forms, there's different ways to do it. But typically when you're doing a fiberglass form, it's going to be designed to be formed out of a mold. So you have a, a master mold that you're going to make a plug out of. And the master mold is typically, again, made out of fiberglass. And you're going to apply PVA, which is a barrier, and then you're going to apply gel coat, and then you're going to build fiberglass, and then you're going to pop it out, and you're going to have a sink form. That process is very in-depth, very high skill uh, level that you have to have to do that. Certain equipment you'll need, or at least tools. And it's one of those things that, I'm not saying don't do it, but I've done it, and it's just, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. And it, unless you're going to do production molds where you need to make, say, 10 molds of the same thing for a project, eh, I don't know if I'd go down that road. The next way would be rubber. Rubber is a great way to make a mold. It's very expensive. Rubber is liquid gold. If I could go back in time and go into any industry, I'd go into the rubber industry because those guys just print money, it seems. Rubber is really good. But again, you're going to start with typically a plug or, or a mold that you're going to pour rubber into to make your sink form. And again, there's different ways to do that. Um, 
I've done ones where I made a form and then poured plaster over it and then popped that out and then sealed the plaster and then poured rubber into there and ended up with a, a mold. There's a lot of different ways to do it, but rubber is great. And if you're going to use rubber, I'd recommend Polytech 7445. 7445 from Polytech is, in my opinion, the best urethane rubber out there. And I prefer urethane over silicones. Silicones are very finicky. You know, the rubber companies will tell you silicone is the best rubber. Yeah, this is probably true. But, you know, there's a lot of things that can go sideways with silicone. It's more expensive. It's more finicky. Urethane, easier, more robust, more user-friendly, cheaper. So I use urethane. And which one? I mean, I never asked you this, but sure. comparing those two, which one would last longer, in your opinion? Silicone or urethane? Oh, well, sir, uh, they're talking about fiberglass or, or rubber. Um, but silicone or urethane, they both last the, the same, I would say. You know, um, I have silicone forms up on the shelf that are 15, 16, 17 years old. And I have rubber forms up on the shelf that are 17, 18 years old that are still usable. They're both still usable. What I'd say is it comes down to the quality of the rubber. And so Polytech, I've had phenomenal success mm -hmm. with Polytech. Smooth on, I've had horrible success with the rubber. It's they've fallen apart. Industrial polymers is another rubber company that I've tried over the years. They're good. You know, you think you're gonna save a little money by going to them versus going to Polytech, but at the end of the day, I didn't really save anything. And it was much more difficult to order through industrial polymers than it was through Polytech. So, you know, Hiram Ball, the guy that I learned about GVRC from used to be a big, big advocate for Polytech, huge advocate for Polytech. He was one of their number one sellers in the U.S., and that's, again, who I learned about rubber from. Hiram Ball got bought out by SmoothOn at some point, and uh, <laughs> he had to promote SmoothOn. Yeah, he retired. Yeah, yeah. well, he, he had to promote SmoothOn, but you'd go talk to him. He's like, yeah, here's SmoothOn rubber. I still use Polytech. And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> okay, I got it. Because, you know, it's one of the things that quality matters when it comes to rubber. And so in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, the Polytech rubber, and just from my own experience, has far outlasted any of the, the smooth-on rubbers I've ever used. So there's that. Fabric is another technique for building forms. And it's we have a class on fabric forming. It's a three-day class. Fabric, you know, the, the high-level overview is you manipulate the fabric, and then you apply resin to it to harden the fabric and you lock that shape in. Now, there's a lot of little steps in there, you know, tons of little steps that make the difference between a good fabric form and a horrible fabric form. But fabric is a really good way to generate a complex shape that'd be very, very cost prohibitive to do if you're one to CNC it out of MDF or out of foam and you had to program it and cut it and do the whole thing and then code it. It would be very expensive or you can do it with fabric much more cost effectively. So fabric is really good for organic shapes. You can do linear shapes as well, but organic is what we use them for. And then the last one would be epoxy coated or epoxy covered wood, plywood, or foam. And so people like Michael Carmody or um, Mark Malonis. I don't know. I do a lot of, yeah. I mean, those are my two choices. Yeah. To be honest with you, I don't do much with rubbers, but the, the fabric formed or versions of fabric form or, um, you know, I call them my hard ones, you know, those are the ones made out of the, the plywood and, you know, two part epoxy or something like, I mean, the, the, those are the ones I do all the time. Exactly. Yeah. So Mark Malonez, he does it a lot. I see him doing it. And Michael Carmody does it a lot. And I'd say, you know, uh, Dusty Baker, I see doing it. I've done it quite a bit. Most of my forms that I do are, are fabric formed. 
if I'm doing it. But if I have a very linear sink, like a ramp sink, then it makes more sense to do Baltic birch plywood and epoxy versus doing fabric. And then you have to fill in the, the where it dips in because it wants to, you know, become an organic shape. So right. then you have to bondo in those areas. And it's just a lot of work. So at that point, it's just like, oh, I'll just do Baltic birch and epoxy. So that works as well. But, um, you know, you have to use epoxy resin over foam because polyester resin will melt the foam. So you use epoxy. And with foam, you can essentially take a rasp and shape the foam, get your shape, and then you can either start directly epoxying over it or you can uh, do like drywall mud and sand it smooth or you can mix up a thicker epoxy with like fumed silica or some other thickener and apply that to essentially fill in all the rough spots and then sand that and then do coats. There's a lot of ways to do it, but that's the way you would do that. Um, as far as epoxy, See, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to interject with that yeah, one a bit. Go ahead. That, I'll be honest with you. That's one I never quite understood. I actually tried it a few times. And at the end of the day, the time now, again, you and I talk a lot about time and labor expense and all that kind of stuff. By the time I glued all the foam together, you know, hand rafts and shaped, you know, coated, sanded, bondoed, you know, blah, 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 cast, and then basically destroyed the mold, you know, uh, pulling it out because there's nothing really to grab onto for a, for a foam mold. To me, that was, that whole path seems very wasted to me and very wasteful because comparatively speaking, if I do that out of plywood, resin, I could still, I mean, whether I'm you know, sanding with a, with a belt sander versus using a rasp at the end of the day, that mold is reusable. It's easy for me to grab and lock onto, you know, with clamps and so forth to pull it out of my, out of the concrete when you're uh, demolding. I don't know, man, I'll be honest. I, I never quite understood the use of doing the foam based molds. But I'm, I'm open to it. If you tell me like, hey, that's the only way to come up with a certain shape or, or a certain use, I, I just never quite got that one. Yeah. Well, I'll hit that in one second. As far as epoxy goes, West Systems, like the direction, east, west, north, south, West Systems is the most common, and you can get that at most any marine supply store. So oh, listen to my compressor back here making noise. West <laughs> Systems is the most common one. And you can get that locally typically. And, um, it, they have a special pump system where essentially this pump is, is equivalent to three of these. So you can pump this one once, pump that one once, and it'll batch it properly. So the other one is system three, system three. That's the one Michael Carmody likes. So system three or West systems. I've tried the epoxies from, um, smooth on it turned to concrete yellow. I tried the epoxy yeah. from polytech didn't like it. It just took way too long. And the thing about epoxy is they have like a fast set. Well, that's all relative. Kind of like there's a thousand shades of white. Well, fast is relative. Fast is still like 30 minutes to an hour. You know, I mean, it's not fast. Correct. Um, I was going to say, because that's what I got in for the last project doing. And I used their, you know, their new surfboard resin in the fast set. And oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was still hours yeah. before you could come back at it. Yeah. In the, the Polytech epoxy isn't bad. If that makes more sense to order because you can order easily, then order that. It's fine. It, I haven't had any issues with it turning the concrete yellow like I did with the smooth on 
uh, Epsilon oh. epoxy. But that being said, West Systems or System 3, typically you can buy locally. I want to say even West Systems, they'll sell at AutoZone or places like that. O'Reilly, I think they carry West Systems a lot of times. Hmm. Those, those have worked fine. Uh, now, to answer your question about why would you do foam covered with epoxy and go through the whole process, for me, it's the process of making a rubber production mold. And so for that, what I would do is I would make my foam mold, it's some kind of crazy shape that I couldn't come up with any other way, sculpt it, epoxy it, sand it, get it smooth, and then I'd either cast concrete over it, which is the easiest way because we do concrete for a living. So I do an SEC GFRC. I'd build a box around it, pour SEC GFRC, pop it. Then I would seal, and I typically use an automotive clear coat for this. The concrete, I would uh, spray it with a, with a catalyzed urethane clear coat with a real high quality HVLP, create a super slick surface in that concrete plug. And then I would pour rubber into it and I would have a mold made from this production plug essentially where I could pour as many rubber molds as I needed. And if I ever damaged the rubber mold, I could just pour another one. And that would be for production work. And I have done that kind of process before where it's just back and forth, back and forth to end up with the final product. But it's a product that I can use again and again and again and again. That's the reason I do that. Now, you know, we've come a long way. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. We've come a long way in the last 10, 15 years as far as CNC technology and the cost coming down. And so anymore, most people will be able to find some cabinet guy locally that has a CNC that is skilled enough with programming that they can, you know, go in and generate the shape, CNC it out of MDF or out of a high-density foam, and then give that to you. And then you can refine it, sand it, and then clear coat it with epoxy and end up with a, with a mold. That's more feasible than it was 10, 15 years ago. You know, 10, 15 years ago it existed, but it would cost you 10,000 bucks to do a little sink mold. Now it'd cost you, you know, a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks. But again, time is money. If I'm not spending days in my shop doing it, I can just go pick it up, sand it, seal it with epoxy, cast it and be done with it. Then it might be worth it to do, to go that route. What are your thoughts, John, on, on building your own? No, yeah, I can see that. I guess th- th- that's why it didn't make sense to me. Yeah. Most everything I still do is one-offs. You yeah. know what I mean? They're, whether it's a certain shape or, you know, whatever the case may be, it's kind of done one time. And if I did stick it on the shelf thinking, yeah, you know what, that was awesome. And who knows when I'm going to use it again. You know, that's when I come back in a year and a half later and be like, God, when am I going to finally clean these shelves off and get rid of those things? Because it never got used again. Never. So, yeah, I, I could see that. In Tempe, Arizona, I had a storage unit that I paid for for years, like 10 years, with shelves in it. And I had probably 100 different sink molds in that storage unit from one-off projects that, you know, we put a lot of time and money into building them, whether they're fiberglass or rubber or epoxy coated wood or, or foam, put a lot of time and energy into it. And so in my mind, I was like, I'll spend whatever, 80 bucks a month to store these because if another project comes along down the road and I can reuse one of these, it's money well spent because we spent, you know, three, five days making each one of these things. Not once. Not once in all those years did a project come along where one of those worked. And finally, after several years, I finally just said, you know, we got to empty this thing out and throw these away. And it just is what it is. That's the thing about custom sinks is people want custom. You know, you'll have a ramp sink that they love. Yep. That's 48. And they're like, oh, has to be 47. That's all the space we have. You're like, oh, 
you know, exactly. or exactly. we love it. It's 48, but it has to be 60. It's going to be a double vanity. You know, 48 doesn't work. And you're like, okay, so you make 60. That always happens. It always happens. So, you know, with custom, that's, yeah, that's again, thing. they wanted a little deeper. They want to change the slant. They're going to put the faucet somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. There's always been stuff. I mean, that's what I always run into. And so, yeah, now, I've, if you market never, those as a standard sink, meaning it's something you have as a standard sink in your offerings, that's a little bit different story. Now, I had a line, I still do, but I had a line of standard sinks that's still on my website that uh, that I marketed to clients. I've sold a ton of standard sinks. And to be honest with you, from a profitability viewpoint for time, you know, how much how much profit do you have for the time in a project? Standard sinks, if you have a line of standard sinks, Standard sinks you make more money on because you can take that sink mold, put it into your melamine form, silicone around it, cast sure. it, bada bing, bada boom, you know, charge three thousand, five thousand, whatever dollars for that sink, and you have all of an hour into building it. Versus the the custom one that you have five days into it and you charge seven thousand for it, but you have five days into it that you're like, uh, you know, you, you yeah. extrapolate that time versus what you made and you made far less on that custom sink. Now I still love making custom sinks. I make a ton of custom sinks. It's still what I do, but from a profitability viewpoint, if you come out with your own kind of quote unquote line of standard sinks, basins that work for a lot of projects, you'll probably uh, be more profitable as a business with those projects. Yeah, I can see that. Every time I think about doing that, I'm like, onto a new custom project. <laughs> so it never works out. True. Um, how many of us all sat back sometimes and be like, God, you know, if we just sold on Etsy, if we came up with a certain thing and, you know, we can turn it over so many times. And then before we know it, we're bored because much of our personality of the people who get into this, they get into it because I don't know, because we enjoy those kind of challenges, the problem solving. So once it becomes ordinary and mundane, it's like we're ready to move on to something else. Yeah, I get that. I get that. I totally get it. I love custom stuff, but at the same time, I love paying my bills as well. Yes. Yeah, I find great satisfaction in writing that check, you know, and not, not sweating it. And as far as paying bills goes, the standard projects are far more profitable. When I was in Arizona, I did, it's become less and less so because I just haven't focused on promoting it like I used to. But in Arizona, I used to heavily promote my standard sinks and I did a ton of them. And really, I never did get bored with it because it wasn't a mold that I just pulled off a shelf and I poured concrete into. I still had to build the melamine form. There are still, you know, waterfall edges and all this different kind of stuff built in backsplashes. So there's still complexity. There were still challenges to the form but I would just take the sink portion, put that in, silicone it, and cast. And that was a good income generator. We're, we're kind of digressing, talking more about business than we are about mold making, but that, that's one of the benefits of having a line of standard sinks. Now, let's go to found. Found objects. Crap to creations. <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, I have made my fair share of sinks with found objects, and those sinks people never have known that it was a found object. And like I said, when I started this, this conversation was stainless steel, stainless steel, I can't even talk, stainless steel bowls from Ikea are awesome. They have really big ones, like, you know, 16 inch, 18 inch diameter stainless bowls all the way down to, you know, six, eight, 10, 12, whatever. They have all different sizes and they're really cost effective. And so if you take one of those, 
you silicone it in. You uh, you could just leave it in, by the way, which would be kind of cool. You still have to drill the hole and, and figure out how you're going to do your drain. But I have seen people do planters, so they left the stainless bowl in, concrete, and made planters like that, which is really cool. But uh, you silicone it down. You do your rubber knockout for the drain. Wax it, buff it, apply Aquacon release, cast it, pop it. It's a beautiful sink. And then skylights. Skylights, surprisingly enough, I made, especially years ago, I made quite a few sinks out of skylights that I would buy either from Home Depot or Lowe's. I bought several from there. Or there was a like a reclamation place. You could go in there and they'd have a whole section of skylights. They're all brand new. You take the frame off. You just take the plastic out. And then you could take that and cut out the section you want, silicone it in, however you want to do it. Um, but that worked really well. And so that's just another idea for people if they want to kind of take a look around at things that exist in a market that you could modify to make a sink out of. See, that brings up a story. I'm not going to say who it was, but that in my memory is one of the experiences that I was very unhappy about one time. I ended up at this event. It was going to be a two-day event of that, learning how to do sink forming. And what basically happened is a bunch of salad bowls came out and you pulled, poured rubber into them. And that was the extent of this amazing um, experience. Really? And I walked away from, yeah, I walked away from that like, you have got to be kidding me. Um, but like we've talked, I did not set very good expectations because at the time, the information presented was going to be like, hey, for a couple of days, we're going to talk about well, exactly what you're talking about right here. Like we might talk about versions of fabric forming, versions of using plywood and resins, you know, round shapes versus square shapes and, you know, how to go. But instead it was a, in fact, I think he had pulled it out of a target box. You know, it was a group of salad bowls and we set the salad bowls out and then we mixed up rubber and we poured them into the salad bowls. And I'm like, huh? Yeah. Well, that's not what I'm saying. That didn't, would... be, that didn't get very good reviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, there's, there's like, a time and a place to, to do that kind of sink. It has to be very specific. But I did a few over the years that were found objects. The Ikea bowls, they worked really well. I remember I did, it was a restaurant where they wanted just round, deep basins. And the Ikea stainless steel bowl worked perfect. It created a perfect, deep, round basin. When I siliconed on well, there's my, no sense in trying to reinvent the wheel. I mean, I totally understand that. I could yeah. go buy that that bowl for like 15 bucks or 20 bucks and cast it and pop right. it out and end up with a perfect basin for 15, 20 bucks. And then the skylight, I did a couple different sinks for, again, it was restaurants in Arizona where I used skylights to do those. And they were really, really cool, you know, very avant-garde sinks, but very, very cool that nobody would have ever known that a skylight was used to create the basin. And um, it was just a really big, you know, organic shape that was that was very cool. But it doesn't fit for everything. It only fits for certain things. But it could be something that could help somebody along the way, you know. But for the most part, I think all of us that do this for a living are going to be making forms with Baltic birch and epoxy or resin yep. and fabric, you know, that kind of thing. So And a lot of sanding. What do you call it? Sanding purgatory. Sanding purgatory. Yeah. Yes. Yes. There's yeah. no way to escape. But it, it actually really. goes pretty quick, to be honest with you. I mean, it really does go pretty quick. It goes faster by yourself than it does in a group. Because in a group, you're sanding one spot, you know, and you're like, oh, I'll sand this area here. And the guy next to me is sanding his area. And you don't cross over. And everybody just, eh. 
But if you're by yourself, I can blaze through it in like a quarter of the amount of time that it takes a group to sand a sink. I can do it by myself so much faster. Well, and little things like, like how many times we've watched people that hold the sander completely flat the whole time and never think about, you know, taking it up on the edge and doing, you know, just the little things like that. They spend so much time flat, flat, flat. That doesn't really comparatively speaking, go anywhere. Like, like you can, um, control how the sander is actually doing its sanding job. So yeah, all that little things, man, little things is about doing it. That's right. Little things become big things. Hey, uh, anything else you want to talk about, John? Thinking this last week, I had a lot of kind of fun current events. Yeah. Like what? Well, (laughs) okay. So this will probably piss some people off. So you and I have talked about design over the years, right? Design and the time, the energy that it takes to come up with ideas and creation of design. Yeah. Uh, I'll be the first to admit that's not my forte. That's not my, my whatever, my mojo. I enjoy the chemistry. I like looking at all that stuff. For me, the most I could figure out, like, dude, I could make a really square box. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be cool. Yeah. So <laughs> there's a, I was laughing because we've heard from a few individuals or I was reading actually this thread from some individuals that are, <laughs> excuse me, I almost coughed, um, fully believe there's no such thing as original design. And maybe there isn't. What do I know? No, no, right? There, there I mean, is. The people that say that are the people that have never done original design. I get it. If you've never made anything original, it's really hard to have that perspective that originality exists. If all you've done right. is recreate other people's work, then the concept of originality just seems, you know, there's no such thing. There's no such thing as original. Well, there is. You just haven't done it. Now, you could do it. I think everybody's yeah, capable of it. Yeah, you haven't been original it, yet. Yeah. But you haven't put in the work. It takes well, work. True. And I'm not going to say who this person was, but um, some of the, I don't know, I'm going to call them projects because I don't know if they're work. I don't know if they're doing it for themselves. I don't know. But some of the projects that this person has, has shown, which I think are, are pretty cool, by the way, were basically recreations of other things like, you know, maybe paintings that now, you know, got put together using concrete or whatever the case may be. So, you know, okay. Uh, seems like a fairly talented individual, but this is a person who's like, you know, there's no such thing as original design, et cetera, et cetera. And what kind well, of- I know who you're talking about now. And this person <laughs> knocked off one of my original designs and then defended right. it by saying there's no such thing as originality, you know, correct. Not, 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 not exactly. defended it to and- me, but defended it to somebody else posted a photo and, uh, and this person got on and said, you know how I feel about original design. It doesn't exist. And it's like, it exist, and then yeah. I looked at this person's, yeah. uh, social media. I'm like, oh, it makes sense. That's why they say that because everything they're doing is a, sure. a replica of something else. Exactly. Yeah. And right. I mean, if, if you were, I, I think a person could still be a, obviously a very talented person that could make, you know, knock off of original paintings that, you know, that can pass as original gets sold for millions of dollars and, you know, and then ultimately get caught as a fraud, I guess. But that being said, then I I just started getting a real chuckle out of it because then, um, this group of individuals decide to put on what they're calling a design contest to see who could come up with some really cool (laughs) designs, original (laughs) designs. 
And then, and then these same people oh, man. who, you know, who are going to be the judges of those. So I don't know. Yeah. I, you know, I guess to me, that was just a chuckle. I thought it was, um, quite, you know, like, like so many th- situations in life, the hypocrisy, you know, it, it, and, uh, when you, when somebody, the only way I can think about it is now this person put themselves in that position, think they came up with a pretty cool idea to do something pretty cool, uh, without looking back on the history of some of <laughs> some of the hypocrisy of the things that they've done. I don't know, man. Yeah. It's kind of a head shaking moment, but that was one of those things Yeah, that happened. There's a, a lot of good technicians in this industry, people that technically are very oh, skilled. Yeah. There's far less original designers and technical knowledge is good. I mean, if you're in a business making countertops or whatever it is that don't really have a lot of creativity to it, you can be an excellent technician and create very high quality work day in, day out for clients and have a successful business. Yeah, there's a difference between technical ability and creative ability. And, you know, yeah, somebody like that that's ripping off whether it's other concrete designs or famous paintings or whatever it is, and then proclaiming mm. that there's no such thing as originality, that there's no original design, everything is fair game. If it exists in the world, it's mine to take. To then try to do a design contest to judge other people's original designs is, uh, yeah, is pretty kind of rich. Funny, right? Well, you know, yeah. I know that Kohler, the company, has this studio program where they have young up-and-coming designers come in and do whatever they want. They do sculpture, they do, you know, glass work, they do whatever. And they have access to all this equipment, CNCs, 3D printers, whatever it is, every tool you can imagine. Kohler isn't doing it because they just feel like helping young artisans. They're doing it because they're trying to get design ideas. That's what I'm thinking, true, yeah. Yeah, they're hoping that somebody has some brilliant idea and they can take that and apply it to a tub design or a sink design or a faucet design, right? They're looking for a spark for something that they can do. That's their ultimate goal, right? That's what they're really trying to do. And so any of these type of design contests, I'm always a little bit leery, like when I, not just this, but any design contest, whether it's, you know, music, painting, whatever it is, you see people out there like, hey, we're having a contest, blah, blah, blah. What's the motivation behind that? What are they, what are they really trying to get? Are they trying to get ideas for another pro for like a new product i don't know well i'm with you I, I mean all of that everything that we just discussed in my past experience which had to do with concrete chemistries and cement chemistries raw materials it was always the same i mean it, it, where we kind of started this whole podcast with you know again amazing technicians out there um i more than understand they have great knowledge with some of the raw materials out there. And at the same time, per what we just talked about with the maker mix, rad mix, where these designs are today and, and why they exist and didn't even exist a year or so ago, you know, it's a difficulty for people to realize again, even here, it's an original chemistry but it can't be in real to them. It, there's no way it can be in an original chemistry. So that being said, I'm looking back in situations where I was far more open with information with people to then come to find out my information, either a ended up in their textbooks 
or in their new formulas of a material that now they were trying to sell or, you know, all these kind of things. So now I'm pretty tight lip about any of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, as you very well know. Yeah. Yeah. We're, Years ago, I'd be like, oh, yeah, what do you want to know? Yeah, this is what it is. Oh, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, I, I could see yeah, some, yeah, some company doing some. a concrete chemistry contest. Hey, guys, show us your newest concrete sure. de- chemistry designs and win $100 yeah. to Chili's. $100 gift certificate to Chili's. Second prize is $50 to Starbucks. And you're like, oh, yes, sir, yeah. look at this. That's really cool. Thank you for that. Here's your 100 bucks, And then they turn around and run with it. So be leery. Yeah. You're stuff. unveiling your cookie recipe, if yeah. you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, yeah. why we're being petty. Because one of the things, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is petty moment. Yeah. <laughs> why we're being petty. I want to tell you a little petty story that happened to me last night, which is pretty funny is, um, I get on, I get on uh, Instagram for some reason, somebody made some comments about Kodiak pro that showed up in my, like my little feed, you know, and when I clicked on the post, they were gone. So the, the person deleted the comments, but they were very negative comments. They were like essentially chastising somebody that was saying that they use Kodiak Pro, telling them like, okay. you know, Kodiak Pro sucks. You know, you only use it because you don't know what you're huh. doing. You're a loser. I was like, huh? Hmm. What? You know, and this is a person I, I have no interaction with that made these comments. And so I sent them a message and said, hey, what's going on? And they're like, oh, nothing. I'm like, hey, well, you know, I saw these comments. What's going on with that? <laughs> oh, God. So It's so funny. So they're like, oh, yeah. Uh, I think my, my smart TV got hacked a few days ago, and maybe my phone got hacked, too. And I'm like, oh, really? What are the chances that a concrete bagged mix hater hacked your phone, made some comments, then felt bad about the comments, deleted the comments? Man, that's just... What are the chances, right? That's funny. Dude, I died. I get it. You know, people have too much to drink. They they say things that they regret. But to not own up to it, to not just be like, yeah, dude, I was drunk. I made some stupid comments. To try to be like, yeah, I think maybe I got hacked. Oh, oh, yeah? Really? Um, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, dude, see, I, I would even dying. say along that line. I was but, dying. Yeah, I would have probably came from the uh, either A, own up to it, or just be like, you know, come up with some story like, yeah, I was just trying to be funny, but it didn't come out funny or yeah. something like that. I don't know. No, those, those, those Russian hackers, man, they hate, they, they hate bagged mix, number one. <laughs> yeah, and then right. they have a conscience when they, when they post something, they feel bad about it. They're like, oh, you know, but I don't like that about my comrade. And they delete it before, uh, before it's mm. not there too long. But anyways, that's my petty moment. I thought it was hilarious. Uh, honestly, I was. Well, see, again, I, I can play devil's advocate to that. And, uh. You know, I, I get anybody, and and we'll say the same thing. I th- I personally believe should people should have a basic foundation of the materials they're using. I'm totally okay with that. But at the end of the day, there's a difference between if you're going to run your business, and I know we've talked about this a lot. If you're going to run your business as a concrete chemist, or you're going to run your business making materials and sell them, and if you're trying to run a business moving things out the door into, you know, clients' homes or client, you know, whatever, commercial projects, whatever's going on, then, you know, at the end of the day, it makes more sense to have readily available materials that are compact, you know, in a pallet, you open it up, you mix it up, and you make something amazing that you're getting paid for because no one's paying you 
to know the concrete chemistry if they're paying for the sink. <laughs> or to spend mean? all the time and resources know. to develop your own ultra high performance right. concrete chemistry. That takes a lot of time and energy. I mean, it's taken 20 years of your life to get to the point to where we are now. So that's the other thing is you made a comment a while back, which stuck with me. I thought it was a brilliant analogy. And that was the best painters in the world know how to use the paint. They don't necessarily know, need to know how to make the paint. Like they don't need to know the chemistry of the different pigments and carriers and all this kind of stuff. They just need the paint and the paintbrush and the canvas and they can do what they do. And for us, that would be the concrete bag mix, the mixer and the melamine form. And we can do what we do. That's our, that's our tool palette, right? Agreed. So yeah, I mean, that's kind of, that, that was a really great analogy you came up with of a painter not needing to know the chemical makeup of the paint to do what they, they need to do. They don't, it doesn't matter to them. They just need the paint. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. And then from that point on, you know, that, then it just becomes a quality issue. You know, where does a person want to end up on the on the spectrum of quality? And I know again, that's a tough question. Well, High quality like, versus low quality. There's like the yeah, dollar it's very store subjective, I guess. The dollar store paint by numbers kit or the high quality paint kit from the paint supply store, you know? <laughs> Some people like the Agreed. paint by numbers. You add water to it, you have a little plastic brush, and you can paint with that. That's fine. You know, it'll, it'll get the job done. But uh, yeah, right. We're we're on the uh, we're on the high end. What what is that? Uh, Bix Blix. What what am I thinking of? Art Supply. They're really big. Yeah, I don't know. You know what? I don't know. But yeah, that's a very very good analogy, John. Thanks, man. Thanks. You're welcome. Now, if I could just get over this cough, I can't tell you how many times I've hit the mute button since <laughs> you and I've been trying to talk. And then I'm like, <gasps> like trying to hold my breath, like, oh, get it over, hit the mute button. Well, dude, I... I'm sitting here. I'm sitting in my shop. I'm in the meeting room. I'm looking out the window. It's snowing right now outside. Snowing. It's crazy. It's snowing. It's nuts. Yeah. Wow. Hey, other news. Just well, really what quick. was it? I just, well, hang on. I'm going to throw this out there. Okay. You just brought up weather. I'm wondering, do, do we need to put something together for Brandon Browning? Did you see that the roof got ripped off of his shop? No, I didn't see that. Was so, that on Facebook? Yeah, so he might be down and out for a minute, man. We may want to reach out to him and see if there's something that the, you know, again, the concrete community, we can all gather together and help him get on his feet. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, apparently a, yeah, a tornado went through that area and hammered him pretty good. I don't, I don't know the full story, but... He just posted something about that. Speaking of weather. Crazy. Well, <clears throat> I'm looking on yep. Facebook right now. Yeah, let me reach out to Brandon Browning and get some details on that. But yeah, we'll definitely, we'll put together some type of um, GoFundMe or something and uh, do what we can to help him because he's such a good guy. So 100%. He's super good. I was just thinking, I mean, I was, I was just like, I was going to reach, uh, well, I am going to reach out to them to like, oh my God, if it got ripped off and it rained in there, I mean, could you imagine? <laughs> ah, anyway, I w Brandon, if you're listening, man, we wish you the best. And, uh, excuse me, as I almost coughed again, we're going to reach out to you and see if we can get everybody to pitch in. If it's even necessary, I don't know. Yeah. And get you back on your feet. Yeah. So. hundred percent. Yeah. I'll reach out to him and, and we'll, uh, you know, definitely next podcast, we'll have an update on that, but we'll send, we'll post on our, on our social media if there's uh, something we need to do to, to help them out for sure. 
Sounds good. Dude, I mean, look, I wish I could like, it's a podcast, it's audio, so I can't share it, but it is like blizzard outside right now. It's incredible. And I got to leave here in 20 minutes. I sold my house. I sold my property, which I talked about before, but I'm closing today in 20 minutes. I have to go down to the title office and sign the paperwork. So have them come to you. I should. I should. And <laughs> dude, yeah. we're having a baby a week from today. It's scheduled. We're doing a cesarean. So a week from today... I'll be a dad of dad of three, so it's pretty nuts. That's cool, man. Thanks. When it rains and pours, man, it's crazy. Sell a property. Yeah, now it's snowing and yeah, all kinds of stuff. But anyways, all right, buddy. Well, let's wrap this up. Uh, Until next week. Till next week. Awesome, buddy. Adios, amigo. Adios. Good talking to you, my friend. Enjoy the snow. Thanks.